0: I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. My guest for today is Lizzie can grow. And wait till you hear everything she has to talk about. We talk about everything from the magical thinking that went into her eating disorder thoughts to where she is today as a dietitian, And it's a really incredible episode. So let's jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am sitting here staring at this beautiful soul, Lizzie Kangro. Lizzie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you
1: for having me. It's great to be I'm, here.
0: I'm thrilled to have you. Um, you, you have an incredible narrative and in where you came from and where you're at now. So can you share with the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I am an expert nutritionist and wellness coach. I'm also an author. And I help women step into the body that they love without dieting. And my journey really started um, as a 14-year-old who developed a 10-year eating disorder. And through that, I developed my passion for what I do now, um, because I decided that I didn't want other women to have to go through what I went through. So that's me. And
0: that's why I'm here here it is that's it that that there's more to it but that's the beginning so i want to talk about your book but first i want to talk about just a little bit of a of a narrative about your eating disorder because the way it started really breaks my heart and and it, it, i don't think it was this one incident but it was a significant incident that just shifted your way of thinking and that happens in life and so anyway Can you share with the listeners a little bit about your narrative? Absolutely.
1: So I share a little bit more about this in in my book. But essentially, when I was 14, um, my granddad um, was suffering from cancer. And he was going through chemotherapy. And just seeing someone so bright and full of life and happy, kind of filled down and you know, um, not quite his full vibrant self, made me want to help him feel better. And so I decided to help him feel better. Um, I would bake him his favorite cake, lemon drizzle cake. Um, and so I gave him this lemon drizzle cake, and he devoured it. And um, he was he was really really grateful. And um, you know, I gave him a big hug and said, "Bye, I love you." Um, and headed off up north to visit my other grandparents. And a couple of days later um, in the evening, my dad walked through the door and I was like, oh, you know, you get that feeling of like some, something's wrong. You're not supposed to be here. Um, and he said, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but um, this morning, granddad passed away from a heart attack. And in my naivety, I immediately associated that event with the event of me giving him a lemon drizzle cake. So at school, we'd kind of been learning about healthy eating, just the basic stuff. And it was presented to us as, you know, fruit and vegetables are good. And then cake is kind of like not good for you. And so I think I made that association through learning this at school. And I thought, that i had caused this through this uh in inverted commas bad food and so i decided that i didn't want that to happen ever again and dive deep into learning about um you know what healthy eating is what foods to have what foods are um to be avoided like what are the rules around food And at the time, it was all kind of really through magazines. Social media wasn't really a thing, Um, and I ended up reading a lot as, quite frankly, bad advice um, or unhelpful advice. And um, at that age, you don't get told really how to um, critically decide whether or not this is helpful advice or not. And so, in the process, I got very, very ill. I cut out a lot of different food groups including dairy and later down the road developed osteoporosis because I wasn't getting enough calcium so at the age of 22 I had osteoporosis in my lower back um, and really um, created this whole world of restriction and food rules because it came from the intention of I don't want what happened to my granddad to happened to me or someone else um and yeah that really kind of began my journey into disordered eating um but then um I like to think of it as you know it was actually a blessing because in going through my eating disorder I discovered my purpose in life and that was to actually um cut through that misinformation um and help women um, and even teenagers avoid that so yeah that's that's the story in a nutshell
0: when I read that in your book my my heart sank um first of all there is like you said the naivete of a an adolescent teen or a teenager. There's also when we are surprised by a traumatic event, we try so hard to make sense of it because it doesn't make sense. Like it's not what we expected when we woke up in the morning. So in order to understand it, often we say we figure out a way of making it our fault, right? Which is exactly what you did. And not only did you, you know, immerse yourself into all this information, but for, you know, for reasons of wanting to like quote unquote be healthy i also have to imagine that it sort of was a an avoidance of the pain that your your grandfather had passed away you didn't have time to think about it because you were ferociously looking up the the healthiest and the best and the and i'm going to i'm going to make sure this never happens again and so there were many many functions of your eating disorder at the beginning
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, you you make a good point, I was avoiding that pain. Um, You know, the narrative in my family was always, you know, keep from the UK, keep calm and carry on, you know, you you don't show your emotions. And so I was kind of stuffing those down um, and trying to be grown up again in inverted commas by, um, you know, sort of being um, not showing my vulnerability, not showing my pain, not showing my hurt. Um, but actually, by internalizing it it was it was hurting me more um, than letting those emotions kind of out. Um, and so I think a really um, helpful thing that I like to encourage other people to do is to allow themselves to feel these um, difficult emotions um, or things that we we think are weaknesses. Um, but in fact it's actually the most important thing that you can do for yourself it's 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 an act of self-love i talk about self-love a lot um because really to me um body image eating disorders um is really a um external result of not having um self-love and so one act of self-love that we can do for ourselves is showing our vulnerability is expressing our emotions um even if At the time, it might feel painful.
0: Also, and and I'm paraphrasing, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you, when you were in the UK, didn't you do a lot of behavioral treatment But it wasn't until you came to the United States that you actually started dealing with working through the emotional components of it, which is then what really moved your recovery process along. Did I get that wrong or?
1: Absolutely. Um, So you're you're correct. So um, from the age of about 14 to 24, I went through this whole process of, um, you know, receiving community care, then being hospitalized, for my eating disorder, then being discharged into the community again, then kind of regressing um, and and going back into my eating disorder, finding out I had osteoporosis, seeking help um, and starting to learn how to physically nourish my body through um, nutrition and healthy forms of movement. But it wasn't until I moved to the U.S., that i actually realized i i thought i had completely recovered from my eating disorder and to it i i feel like i had but i hadn't recovered from the self abusive thoughts that i had for myself and those self abusive thoughts began before my eating disorder and they were continuing afterwards so What I mean by that is that I was still beating up on myself for not being perfect, the getting things um, not always correct for um, who I was as a person. And there was this constant kind of rhetoric of not good enough, not good enough, not good enough that can really feed an eating disorder. Um, And it was only until I really discovered how to change my mindset that it really opened me up to being able to share. My story and also help other people in a more powerful way. I
0: want to go back to something that you said, and then I want to come back to the emotional component. I don't think we talk enough on this podcast about osteoporosis, osteoporosis in very young people. Share what it was like when you found, like, like, talk a little bit about it. Because again, I don't, as I'm reflecting back on the other episodes, I don't remember us talking about it. And if there's any parents that are listening, it is really important that they know this because this is something that people don't think about often. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So
1: for those of you who are listening and aren't sure what osteoporosis is, osteoporosis is um, essentially bone degradation. Um, And that can happen um, most commonly um, in um, premenopausal and postmenopausal women, because as we age, our bone density naturally declines because our um, bone cell replacement um, is slower than our bone cell loss. Um, And that's just a natural process. But in um eating disorders, when we're not um nourishing our bodies and getting enough um especially calcium, that process can be accelerated so um in um my case, I um knew that it was a risk, um probably from the age of about sixteen when I was hospitalized, and you know the um, treatment team were going through some of the potential consequences of not um recovering. Um, but it wasn't until um, I was actually back um, in the community and I was working at Starbucks that I kind of felt like a twinge in my lower back. And I just had this thought of, oh, what is that? And at that point I'd kind of um shunned some help because I I wanted to do this all on my own and I didn't want help anymore. Um, but as soon as I felt that pull, I got scared because I remembered a couple of years ago when they were going through all oh, these, are, these are the, some of the consequences, um, of having, um, anorexia. And so I went to the doctors and the doctor said, okay, we're going to book you in for a bone scan. It's called a Dexter scan and assess the density of your bones. And the results came back a couple of weeks. I opened the envelope and my heart sank. And um, the data didn't lie. It was you know, severe osteoporosis in my lower back. Um, and um, th- this is something that is generally thought of as irreversible and it's just a case of management. And so that was actually a pivotal moment of me beginning to ask for help again. Um, and I shared it with my dad. Um, and I just remember getting really emotional because first of all, I was scared. <laughs> I was scared that this very um, long-term consequence had, um, had actually become a reality. Um, and it was something that kind of, um, propelled me into really looking at my diet. I started taking, um, calcium supplements. And later began kind of just managing it with my food intake and eating calcium-rich food, Um, but it really kind of made me take a hard and fast look at like how I was actually treating my body and I was actually destroying it. So osteoporosis is a very real thing um, that a lot of young people can be at risk at, even if they don't have a full-blown eating disorder. You know, if they're going, for example, vegan and not replacing the source of calcium in their diet um with um the the dairy with another calcium source like that can be a risk um so it doesn't have to be specifically an eating disorder um but it can it can definitely happen in younger people and i think it's probably gonna become sadly more and more common but i always try and look to the good in everything and um, through this whole process, again, like it kind of set me on the road to a new level of recovery. And it's, it also made me realize that my body is so, so strong and so resilient. Um, so now I get a bone scan every three years to check on just how my bones are doing. And the last one that I had about three years ago now revealed that I had reversed some of that damage. So um, I'm now in a state of osteopenia, which is kind of like a milder form of osteoporosis. So I think it's really testament to the fact that it's really important that we do prevent um, you know, really chronic conditions like osteoporosis through looking after our bodies, but there is also hope that we can reverse some of that
0: damage. And it's 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 a very serious. Consequence, um, and you know, you were maybe twenty three when you were diagnosed with it, so that's very young to be diagnosed with osteoporosis. And you're also very lucky that it was able to at least turn around to osteopenia, because that is not always the case. So, it's it's just it's important for people to know about this. There's something that you said that makes me want to shift to your book which is you started i think you said started reaching out to community is that like when when you when it was almost like you were you were trying to do it all on your own and when you realized you couldn't that's when you reached out to community which brings me to your book because what you talk about in your book and and you call it a cheer squad i call it community you need a community people. And so since I segued into the book, can you discuss it? Can you share with listeners what it's about? And can we go through the 12 rebellious acts that are being rebellious against diet culture?
1: Absolutely. I I absolutely love talking about my book. Um, So it's called Reclaim the Rebel, 12 Rebellious Acts to Achieve Unconditional Love for Your Body. And really, it's my um, love letter, not only to my body, but to other people's bodies. And just to say that, you know, if someone like me with my story um, can have unconditional love for my body, then it's totally possible for everybody. And this is how I achieved it. These are some tools. This is, um, you know, my story. And these are some of the stories of other clients that I have helped. Um, And I break it all down into 12 rebellious acts that I found super powerful and super simple um that I wished I had known you know 10 years um before my eating disorder kind of you know got full blown um and so yeah that's reclaim the rebel
0: do you want to go through the 10 rebellious acts is that something that you would like because I I think they're fantastic I love them they're interesting, they're fun, they're insightful. So what if we went through them and you could share with listeners, but not so much that people don't go out because I want people to support you. And I'd like people to get the book and it's a wonderful book. So share a little bit about each one.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So Rebellious Act One is living your life backwards. And by that, I mean, um, working from a place of your identity. Um, as opposed to what you're doing, um, and what you want to have. So a lot of us have um, a goal in life, um, whether I'll use um, a non-body example. So for example, I want to have um, a million dollars. And so a lot of people kind of focus on that end goal, and think, well, when I have a million dollars, then I'll be happy. But what if we worked from the opposite way around, and thought, well, I'm going to be happy, and then through being happy, I'm going to do things that um, are going to make me a million dollars, and that takes um, a lot of kind of reversing um, and going, kind of reversing how society looks at things and going inwards. Going, okay, so um, in the case of loving our bodies, what would the type of person who already love their bodies? What would they? identify with like what would they be doing what would they be saying to themselves so that's living your life backwards and i go through an exercise to kind of help you reverse engineer that process Um, the second rebellious act really ties in with the first and that's rewrite your story and rewriting your story is all about your thoughts and your beliefs so your thoughts and your beliefs really um feed into your identity um and they come from your identity so um, with rewrite your story what i help um, the readers do is to look at the current stories that they're telling themselves and to realign those stories with actually having love for your body and not in a um positivity way something that feels real and believable but feels um more aligned to feeling good so that's rewrite your story uh, rebellious Act Three is take your glasses off, and in um, that rebellious act, it's it's named after the story that I have of um, running along and my glasses breaking, and I used to use my glasses as a way of hiding myself. Um, I uh, mentioned earlier how I um, had sort of the behaviours in place to look after my body and to show it love, but I didn't have a mindset um, for. A, a long time even after my eating disorder and really this chapter is um a story of, of how I realized this and the exercise that I used to um really um face that distorted body image that I still had and some of the cruel things that I was telling my body um so that's rebellious act number three rebellious act number four is um prioritize yourself And um, this is all about um, showing yourself that it's not a matter of being selfish. It's a matter of self-worth that we um, sometimes can prioritize our health and our wellness. Um, And again, I take readers through um, a really neat tool that I developed um, based on the love languages by Gary Chapman um, to actually reverse that and, and bring the love languages in on yourself. Um, So I I love that rebellious act. Um, Rebellious act number five is about um, being vulnerable. And we spoke about that um, and the process of gently moving towards something that scares us, which is often vulnerability and showing ourselves a little bit of compassion in the process of um, becoming vulnerable. Rebellious act number six um, is to give yourself. That was the hardest chapter. I think I mentioned this actually in the book. That was the hardest chapter for me to write um, because um, maybe your listeners can relate to this. For a long time, I found it very difficult to, to give myself for my eating disorder and the things that I put my parents through and the length of time I took to recover. Um, And really, I talk all about that in Rebellious Act 6 and how to actually... um. Let go of that shame, judgment, um, some of the really kind of um, low vibration emotions that can come with going through experiencing and being on the other end of an eating disorder um, and sort of let that go and just sort of be more present and, um, and at peace in your experience. So Rebellious Act number seven kind of moves into more of the physical behaviors, trusting your gut. This is the most nutrition heavy chapter. So um, I talk about um, really the concept of intuitive eating. I call it trusting your gut, but it's very similar um, and how to really tune into what your body's telling you um, and how to ditch the diets who are telling you how to do this, how to do that, you know, eat this at this time, this out. Um, and actually explain why your body is a very elegant machine and how to tune into this elegant, beautiful um, being that is your body. Rebellious Act 8 is moose pleasure, not punishment. Um, Again, with eating disorders, very, very common for us to use exercise as a form of punishment. So I talk all about my journey with um, using running to punish myself um, and how I made peace With exercise as a way to positively um, kind of use it um, in a way that makes me feel good and is a tool to improve my mental well being as opposed to it wearing away at my mental well being. And I use dancing as an example. I love dancing, always have, Um, and and just kind of encourage the readers to, to find a form of movement that brings them pleasure. As opposed to punishment, rebellious act nine um, is about easing up. I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to the hustle, um, needing to, um, you know, always be achieving something. Um, and really, this rebellious act is about the importance of also rest. You know, um, it's okay to pursue um, our dreams, but it's important to balance that against. Um, physical rest um, and also mentally resting and kind of reducing some of that anxiety of always trying to sort of hustle and and move to the next thing. Uh, Rebellious Act 10 is dress up or dress down and that's really all about how um, we um, physically present ourselves um, into the world so some women um, and men feel like they have to be fully presented like perfectly manicured at all time and get very anxious if they are in front of others um, when they you know, aren't wearing makeup or aren't you know, fully done up. Um, whereas other people maybe um, feel really anxious getting dressed up. So really this rebellious act is about kind of making peace with that process and being okay um, at fully expressing yourself in terms of what you wear, how you do your makeup, how you do your hair. And letting go of some of society's expectations for how you should look. I'm going to put that in 30 commas. Um, and that's a really great segue into Rebellious Act 11, which is let go of comparison. And I talk about um, shooting on yourself um, and um, how to really let go of that um, expectation of how things should be, comparing ourselves against others. And really um honoring our uniqueness. Um, and I use a, a gratitude exercise for that. And then the final rebellious act, rebellious act 12, is have a cheer squad, which you mentioned. And to me, this is probably one of the biggest rebellious acts. Um, and it is all about having that sense of community, asking for help, and um, letting other people in, um, and having that community that feels aligned um and 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 works for you because some people you'll want to have as part of your cheer squad, but maybe um, their intentions are uh, well-meaning, but maybe it's not actually helpful to where you're at. So how do you deal with that? How do you um, have a cheer squad that feels really good for you and it's going to support you fully through your journey to loving your body?
0: So Lizzie, how did you come up with all of these rebellious acts? Were they things that you used in your own recovery process and that's how you created this? Where did it come from?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. These are all tools that I used and um, that I found just super powerful and super easy to implement as well. Um, You know, as I say, some of them were easier to implement than others. Um, But once I learned the tool within the rebellious act, um, it was kind of like a light switch of, oh, okay, that actually works. And I saw results from it. So these are all rebellious acts that I've used and collected kind of in my toolkit um, on my journey. And so now I kind of felt it was my responsibility to, to share these with others
0: you know it's so interesting and i don't know why this is the one that i'm going to because they're all wonderful i and maybe it was one of my big lessons but when you have rebellious act number 9 which is ease up i know that if i wasn't constantly moving or doing something that made me feel productive when i was in my eating disorder i thought i was doing something wrong it took me even years after I recovered from my eating disorder, to realize that rest, taking care of myself, pausing, is still doing something productive because it is re-energizing. It is refueling myself to go back and do different kind of productive things. And I don't know why that stuck with me the most, but it's just we live in such a go 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 culture that we have such a negative idea of like, oh, I'm going to take a nap or I'm going to rest or I'm, I'm going to pause. That's really productive. We just don't understand that it is. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Absolutely. And I
1: always used to feel really guilty um, for wanting to rest. You know, it's something that I think um, we associate with laziness. Um, in this kind of hustle culture of, oh, if you're resting, then you must not be working as hard as so-and-so and and you're not going to, you know, have this, that and the other. Um, And so, for example, I um, felt bad saying, okay, I'm going to go to bed. I felt like I had to kind of stay up with everybody else when I felt so tired and that really drained me for the next day or even the next week. And so really that's kind of an example of actually how productive rest actually is. It's physically regenerating us. Um, and I think especially for women, we're so um uh, we're so programmed to cycle in terms of um how active we are and how much doing we're doing. Um, because just look at our monthly menstrual cycle, you know, when we're ovulating, we're going to feel very different to when we're, you know, on our period. So it's it kind of you, you can look at rest as um something that we can do throughout our day, you know, with sleep wake cycle, but we can look at it throughout the month. You know, some days we're just going to need to rest a little bit more. Some days um taking the example of exercise we don't feel like you know going on um a walk some days it's it's good for us to just rest and sit for a while and just be with ourselves but other days some days that that is what we feel like doing and that's fine too and I think being okay with having that balance is what really easing up is all about. It's actually bringing back into alignment. Um, I, I talk about kind of the Goldilocks zone at the end of the book, you know, having that balance between, okay, yes, we can rest, but also we can be in the doing and, and, and bringing that back into a,
0: a, into a healthy balance. I think that it's about being flexible And saying and honoring that we emotionally and physically feel different day by day, hour by hour, sometimes moment by moment, and that we don't have to stay stuck and rigid. And I know that when I was in my eating disorder, I was very rigid. It wasn't until I allowed myself to be more flexible that my life, that I could breathe better. My life became more comfortable. My life became actually what I wanted it to be because I could see, I could see other options than just the rigid view that was in front of me. Right. And so it, it is, it is. Lizzie, we're going to have to end in a few minutes. Can you share a little bit? I, I believe you do coaching, correct? And do you apply this? Like, how do you help clients with your coaching? And is there one or two of the, the rebellious acts that, that clients find most challenging and why? Yeah, so I offer both um, one-to-one
1: coaching as well as um, self-paced coaching and within both we do really dive into the rebellious acts and um essentially it it, i think people come to me because they're interested in the physical side and so when we dive into the mindset side of things it does get um, more challenging because we're faced with our own sense of self-identity of, again, the stories that we tell ourselves, that inner mean girl that I talk about in Reclaim the Rebel. Um, And so when we're um, faced with that inner mean girl and we're challenging her, that can um, feel very unsafe because we're so used to um, having her in our head telling us all of these negative things um, and so whilst it doesn't feel good, um, it's predictable. And that predictability makes us feel safe. And so um, what a lot of people find is when we start to change our belief, change our stories, um, that can be really, really challenging. But I really want to um, leave your listeners with an analogy that I was given in the final year of my eating disorder. And I don't mention this in the book, but I do give it to my clients. And that is the idea of um, climbing a mountain. Um, your eating disorder and recovery is like climbing a mountain. You can go up that mountain as fast as you want or as slowly as you want. You can take breaks. You can even go back down the mountain. It's entirely up to you. But when you get to the top of the mountain, that you, I'm going to get emotional is the most beautiful view that you will ever have. And you will feel so at peace, so limpless, that um, that journey will be so worthwhile. And so when you are faced with challenging some of your stories and your beliefs and your inner mean girl, that's when um, the mountain analogy really comes into play. You know, it's okay to slow down a little bit, but don't lose sight of the top of the mountain. And um, that's what's on the other side is when we challenge some of our really deep beliefs.
0: Lizzie, I can't thank you enough. I was just going to say, is there anything else you'd like to say before we end? But I feel like if it's okay, that was a beautiful, a beautiful way of ending it. So I just really want to thank you for being on the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor. Well, it's been wonderful, wonderful having you. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast signup to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.